back to another Mackham in the Middle podcast. And once again, another match preview ahead of Monday's game away to Middlesbrough, which is, of course, a game that is broadcast live on Sky Sports. And to get the opposition view, I am joined by Craig, who is, of course, a Middlesbrough reporter for the Gazette. How are you getting on, mate? You're doing well? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks very much for having me on. No worries. And I bet you're feeling a bit a bit tired after what happened yesterday. It's always a busy day, isn't it? Deadline day, regardless who comes in, who goes out. That's it. Yeah, it's it's one of those days where you know I think even for journalists, you know, we, you know, you want to be at the centre of, uh, of of any big stories, and ultimately at Middlesbrough, nothing did happen, but uh, we were expecting a busy day, so it's one of them where you you kind of log in on early and and, and yeah. on throughout the day uh, doing a, you know, what half eight I was uh, I, I was logged onto the laptop and uh, and not switching it off until after midnight, even though Middlesbrough yeah. ultimately let two players go, and that was. Um, the only business they did all day so uh, a busy day without anything happening uh, in a strange kind of way yeah exactly the same as Unland we'll get straight into it because there is plenty to talk about surrounding obviously the two teams and the game on Monday starting with Middlesbrough obviously it's been a tough start of the season I would say so far for Middlesbrough currently in 20th just one win um, in their opening at seven games not in the most recent games a 2-1 win against Swansea, a 2-1 defeat against Watford, and of course, 1-0 defeat against Redden in the last three. What have you made over the start of the season so far for Middlesbrough? It's, it's been such a strange start of the season, really. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, they've had, they had, you know, obviously a lot of, build a lot of momentum towards the end of last season. Chris Wilder coming in in November uh, really helped transform the team, got them playing a really attractive style of football, a really clear style and system to how they wanted to go about the way they played. Had a really good FA Cup run, beating Manchester United and Tottenham. Um, narrowly missed out on the playoffs, but they'd come a long way to, to go from 14th when, when Wilder took over to, to finish mm. seventh just outside. And, you know, you felt then going into the summer, uh, it was going to be a big summer. It was always going to be a big overhaul. In the end, they brought in 10 players, but I think, you know, everyone appreciates that they're, they're probably still three signings short of where the idea yeah. wanted to be. So really 13 signings, what they should have got, that was, a, you know, always going to be a big overhaul for them. But, um, but yeah, the, every, there was a lot of positive momentum and a lot of hope about Middlesbrough coming into the start of this season. I think, um, you know, they did do this. Some of the 10 players that they brought in are very impressive signings. You know, you're signing Zach Steffen to go in goal, who was last season, he was Manchester City's number two. Mm. Um, you know, Ryan Giles, who by January last season was the championships. Um, you know, he was top of the assist table in the championship. And, you know, he's continued that form into last season. Daryl Lenehan comes in from Blackburn on a free and he's, um, you know, he's probably been one of the championship's top defenders for the last three or four years, I would say. Um, so it's some very good business that they did. And then you know, with that in mind, expected results to be better, but it's such a hard one to analyse because performances have actually, on the whole, been very good. And they've played very well in the majority of games. I would say really um, a mad kind of 30 minutes at QPR where they just started terribly and, um, you know, shot themselves in the foot ultimately three times and, and were 3-0 down after after 30-odd minutes. Uh, actually came back and, and probably should have got something out of that game. They lost it 3-2 in the end, but uh, but had chances where they should have at least taken a draw from it and, and, and should have had a penalty in that game as well. Mm -hmm. Um 
and you know that that 30 minutes there and then Redden where you know you come away from Redden they lose one nil they absolutely dominated possession they had all of the ball uh, I think Redden had ultimately one shot on goal and uh, and it went in uh, but Borough were really poor that day in terms of carrying out what they want to do in possession in possession as I'm sure we'll talk more in detail about you know they want to be quick they want to play at a quick tempo and move the ball about fast um, and they didn't do that at Redden and, and, and so ultimately it was easy for Redden to, to kind of um, you know defend against that um, because they weren't being moved about and they didn't have to think too hard about keeping the structure and the shape uh, but you know with the exception of kind of that 90 minutes and 30 minutes at QBR Borough have played really well and, and warranted a lot more in terms of results than what they've ultimately got. Uh, but yeah, big issue is this um, ultimately, as I mentioned with QBR, shooting themselves in the foot. They, they conceded too many goals and, and, and the majority of the goals that they're conceding are coming from their own mistakes ultimately. Yeah, I think it's a very similar story to Sunderland so far this season in terms of performances probably haven't matched the level of points that we've picked up. Again, just before we started recording, obviously mentioned the QPR game where we played well. You concede a dive and header to a goalkeeper in the last minute. That's not going to happen every week. You go down to 10 men against Sheffield United, who of course won the favourite for promotion. You're going to lose that game 2-1. Probably should have got a point, if not three, if we had 11 men on the pitch. So I think, especially at this se- at this stage of the season, although obviously three points in the game are massive and you, and you want to be up the right end of the table, I think the main thing to take away from games is the performance at this point, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's fair. I mean, as you see, you don't want to kind of lose, you know, too too many points on, on those at the top end of the table if that's ultimately where you want to be challenging, which is certainly the case for, for Middlesbrough this season. Um, but, but yeah, the performances are there. There's something to... To if you like to hang hang your hat on, um, if if the performances weren't there and you weren't getting results, then then perhaps you would worry more. But because the performances are there, and and with Borough, uh, you know, we mentioned I mentioned that they did they've done ten deals this summer, but some of the cr- more key deals, some of the more critical deals, came later in the window. So yeah. For example, throughout the summer, the Wilder was adamant that he wanted a, a left footed centre back. He didn't have one last season. Um, Paddy McNair ultimately played that role last season. Someone who Sunderland fans know well, of course. And yeah. you know, he's 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 a fine defender since since Neil Warnock really who, who converted him back to a centre back and, and and made clear that that's where his best position was. He's been excellent for Borough in the last kind of uh, two seasons um, as a centre back, but. With Chris Wilder's style, particularly in possession, you know, I think most who have watched his Sheffield United team will remember kind of the overlapping centre backs and the, yeah. the two wide centre backs do like to get forward and do like to get involved in the attack. And, you know, one thing Borough didn't have last season and uh, what was that left footed centre back who would ultimately go past the wing back get the ball and could cross it in naturally with the left foot. When when Paddy McNair played the role, he would have to come back onto his right foot to do that. And, and, and ultimately that, you know, that slows things down again a bit, which makes it just gives defences that little split second extra to, to kind of regroup, reshape or whatever. So um takes away from the the, the kind of the the style and the the ethos of how Chris Wilder wants it to look. So so yeah, um 
they, they finally got Mark Clark in, um, I think it was a week or so ago now, and he made his debut in the, the Swansea win, the, so far the only win of the season for Berra. But, you know, it was, it was evident in that one just how much having that balance at the back made a difference. Mark Clark linked up brilliantly with Ryan Giles, who I mentioned for the... Uh, for the goal, for the second goal that Burris scored, and it was just so evident how important that was. So I think, you know, within those results, performances have been good, but they have still had important positions that they've needed to to yeah. fill um, as well, which which hasn't helped results. Yeah, and obviously it's just under ten months since Chris Wilder took charge. Obviously Neil Warnock was there previously, so. In terms of looking at the two managers and the way they kind of shape up the teams, the tactics they play, the type of football they play, it's very two different styles. And how quickly have Middlesbrough been able to change that kind of Chris Wilder football? Because as we've seen in the Premier League when he was at Sheffield United, especially that first season when they got promoted, it can be very effective if used correctly. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think broadly speaking, they, they took on board how we wanted to play uh, very quickly. And there was very quickly an upturn in, in, in results and performances um last season and and there was a lot of uh, of positives to take which as i say ultimately led to coming into this season with with a lot of hope and a, and a lot of expectation too um i think it's more now the the kind of more intricate details of of, of exactly how he wants it to look as i say that that balance that i mentioned with uh, the left footed center back is a key thing so obviously getting Mark clark in recently was a big signing for them and uh you know the kind of the way they want uh, to move the ball about in the final third and the, the movements that that need to happen and um, you know the that their little intricate details that are still coming together uh but ultimately i think when you look at kind of how they've performed broadly over wilder's time in charge they took those ideas on really well and and it seemed to really suit the players that borough have at the disposal and see the, the key issues really for them so far this season has been you know just making sloppy errors basically making yeah. Stakes, giving the ball away in, in 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 situations or areas of the pitch that you really can't afford to give the ball away and not clearing crosses um commandingly enough and and ultimately it's it's proof costly to keep being punished for 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 reasons such as that. Yeah. And obviously two players that are at Middlesbrough nowadays are two players at Sunderland will be very familiar with, obviously Paddy McNair and Duncan Watmore, and the latter of which I've just searched and he's 28 years old. I didn't realise. Yeah. Because he yeah. came through the Sunderland Academy. That was probably about 10 years ago now, I think, when he came through. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously he moved on to Middlesbrough, I think it was two, possibly three years ago nearly. Paddy McNair obviously won Sunderland, got relegated into League One, which now seems like a lifetime ago. How have them two got on this season so far for Middlesbrough? So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. As Sunderland fans will remember, we don't know what more he, uh, he of course, suffered those two, um, two yeah. terrible knee injuries at Sunderland, which... Um, you know, pretty much took away three years of his career at such a such an awful time. And of course, back then I was covering someone, so I, uh, you know, I kind of witnessed all of that with him. And uh, and you know, by the time he, he got back to properly playing again, 
he'd gone from being a Premier League player and an exciting England under-21 international to suddenly finding himself at Sunderland, who were now in League One. And, of course, that was such a difficult division. Um, you know, a lot of bullies in that division, I remember. And, um, yeah, he finally kind of got himself um, back to playing in League One, got a bit of form going. And I always remember somebody somebody crunched him, didn't I? I can't remember what game that was now. I think he'd come on and possibly even scored, maybe. I don't know, my memory, not quite good. But I remember he... he he got crunched and yeah and that's kind of league one for you that the the, the recognized the player like Duncan Watmore like to get on the ball like to run at people was fast and and you know the, the answer in league one is just you know we'll, we'll stick a foot in and we'll crunch that and and uh and, and he struggled so I think ultimately when when Sunderland decided to release Duncan Watmore it, it made a lot of sense in terms of I think both parties both sides just needed a kind of fresh start and um and, and a parting of the ways and you know Duncan of course struggled to find a club initially and uh there was talk of potentially moving to India and, and even stuff like that and and as luck yeah. would have it um on on his part at least Middlesbrough at the start of that season which um start of the season before last uh suffered Ashley Fletcher suffered an injury and it left them short up over the top of the pitch and and in came Duncan Watmore in the November I think it was as a free transfer and you know he's not really looked back since I think some of them fans will all remember you know what a great attitude Duncan had and you know how much effort he always put into things and he's and he's very much been the same in his time at Borough is actually playing mainly as a striker uh, in his time at Borough and he, he, he I think he scored 10 goals after coming in that first season in the November um, and ultimately that was that made him Borough's top scorer that season um, and you know he's 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 one player who's really brought into to, to Wilder's style Wilder's system because he really likes his, his forwards to press hard and uh and, and really go after the ball in the final third and, and give defenders no time on the ball. And and as some of the fans will remember, Duncan, you know, Duncan's more than happy to do that. Um yeah. in terms of this season, it's it's been a bit more difficult for him, but I have tried and you know have brought in quite a few strikers, but the conditioning issue is is the big thing for him. Um as I say, because of those two knee injuries, he he struggles to play three games in in, in a week, which quite often you do in the championships so, or yeah. It's inconsistent in terms of he's quite he's quite often in and out of the team. Um, he's 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 an interesting player now in terms of the way Borough are going. Um, ideally, kind of Duncan would have probably almost dropped out of the reckoning, or at the very least, become you know the the fourth or fifth option this season of four or five. He would have been the lower end of your kind of striker options had Borough's summer transfer window come to plan. Um, as it happens, they didn't get a kind of senior experience striker that they, that they ultimately wanted this summer. And, and so Duncan's going to ultimately have to play an important part. Again, he's uh, he's not had, you know, a, a, by his standards, not the best of starts. He's, he's missed a couple of golden opportunities so far this season uh, in his first couple of appearances. And, uh, you know, he'll certainly hope to improve on that. He did get his first goal recently. So, yeah. Uh, Fingers crossed it'll come together because he he is a great player on his day. And as I say, in terms of the the tactical style of of, of pressing hard and things like that, he, he is perfect for it. But you know, he, he he admits himself he has to kind of manage that knee injury. Still, he still gets issues with the knee, and um, so he does have to manage that. And uh, so yeah, I would uh, you know he's uh, he, on his day, he's brilliant, but he's also capable of. Uh, 
of some bad misses at times as well. And for, for Borough, a team who at the minute are conceding a lot of goals, they can't afford uh, to be wasting chances that, that Duncan yeah. does. Um, so that probably sums him up. It's, it's been a strange start of the season for Paddy McNair. Um, because as I mentioned, he'd been playing as the left centre-back, but but Wilder was clear he wanted uh, that balance and he needed... Uh, he needed a left-footed centre-back, which eventually he's got with Matt Clark. And and, and with Paddy McNair, he's had a strange career in that. He's, he's, he's almost played all over, hasn't he? He's been a midfielder. Yeah. He's, 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 he's been a centre-back. He's, he's even been a wing-back um, or, or a full-back. Um, I think even, even the season when Sunderland had him in the Championship as well, I think because of how poor Sunderland did that season, I think he did get criticism. But he always stood out as one of the best players Sunderland had that season. And, He's definitely a top end championship midfielder slash defender slash wherever you want to play him. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, he's got fantastic ability. There's no doubt in that. And I think sometimes with versatile players like that, the difficulty be, can be, you know, finding your place in the team and cementing that. And 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 at Borough because the options are limited now. I think you know ultimately if we when looking at transfer deadline day they wanted two central midfielders because they needed more depth in that position the the yeah. other they were three central midfielders and now only have four on the books because they haven't managed to get uh, the two that they wanted in on deadline day and and ultimately what's happened in 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 an ideal world borough strongest 11 paddy McNair would be the right-sided center back that's where mm. wilder likes him it's where wilder sees him uh playing you know, permanently, it's where Wilder believes he's at his best. Um, the issue was being, um, as I say, because of that lack of depth in midfield, they had uh, Matt Crooks, who is one of the very good midfielders. Um, he, he he missed three games with illness, so Paddy McNair had to step up into the midfield to, 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 to cover for him. In the last game at Watford, uh, Johnny Housen, who kind of sits in the, in the deep lie in midfield role, he had to come off uh, at half time at Watford. So Paddy McNair had to leave the centre back role again and go at a defensive midfield. Um, so, you know, three different roles that Paddy McNair has already played this season. And, uh, and and unfortunately, we talk about the fact that Borough, you know, keep conceding sloppy goals. I think a big part of that as well is that in terms of selection, they haven't been able to, to name any consistency so far because they haven't done things with particularly with Paddy McNair etc and you know I think you know when you look and you see that back three um your strongest back three of of Paddy McNair, Darrell Lenehan and and Matt Clark, two of those players are new signings at the club. So clearly yeah. you know you want that selection consistency so they can gel and get to know each other better and you know that, that better understanding will lead to better structure etc but you know because of, of of the way the season's come so far for Borough they haven't been able to really do that yet. Yeah as you mentioned before you did used to cover Sunderland and a lot changed at the club since then probably for the better yeah. most importantly obviously the league of which we're playing in obviously spent four seasons in league one got promoted through the playoffs last season, obviously with Alex Neal in charge, who has since left to join Stoke. But I think the biggest thing that's changed outside of that is the recruitment at Sunderland. And I'm sure you've seen it, the type of players that Sunderland have brought in this season are very different from the types of people you were probably reporting on at the time. You know, the likes of Danny Graham when he re-signed, yeah. Darren Gibson, Gillibodji and Dong. You know, players that, to put it frankly, would come here for a pay packet, move on, and never really do anything with the career. And if you look at the players that we've signed this season, you've also got Dan Ballard, 
who was a highly rated centre-back from Arsenal, spent last season on loan at Millwall. Unfortunately for him, he is probably going to be injured until after the World Cup. But the likes of Edouard Michu from PSG, 19-year-old midfielder, um, international player for France's under-20s, I think it is. The likes of Ahmad Diallo on loan from United, Abdullah Bar from France. So young players coming in to you know develop with the club as the club move forward. Middlesbrough have been in the championship for a few seasons now, so you know, you'll know what it takes to kind of compete in this league and what works and what doesn't. With the way Sunderland are recruiting nowadays, how do you think that will go for Sunderland moving forward? I think it's a really interesting one and, and I must admit I, I admire the the recruitment strategy at Sunderland and in my time covering the club, it always felt like Sunderland were just were ultimately firefighting. Ninety uh, percent of the time, um, never really having much of a clear strategy, uh, particularly during the Premier League years. It was, you know, yeah. stay in the Premier League at, at all costs, and that would mean, you know, switching from manager to manager without ever really allowing a manager to build anything, without ever really having a clear strategy. One manager would have one style, one manager would have another style, and you know, it was there weren't appointing managers um you know with with similar styles with similar strategies yeah. with similar you know kind of preferences to how teams play and, and and that meant that you know ultimately by the end the squad was all over the place because it was it was a squad you know that come together from so many different managers and so many different ideas of of the best way to play and and those players were ultimately brought in for that style so yeah. there was just there was no balance and no you know, no kind of direction within the squad. Um, so I think now what what it appears from the outside looking in at Sunderland is there is a clear strategy and, you know, there is a clear direction and vision for the club, which I think in the modern game now, I think accelerated by COVID as well. Um, I think clubs have started to realise that the way that they've been operating it, it is not sustainable. And, yeah. you know, the, the kind of losses of, of clubs, particularly in the championship and 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 further down in the EFL, uh, but even in the Premier League. I mean, we all talk about how much money's in the Premier League, but but you know, even just to stay in the Premier League, the money you have to spend to try and keep up with the rest means that yeah. so many clubs aren't turning over a profit in the Premier League, despite all that money. Um, I think there's there's a recognition now, as I say, accelerated by COVID and all the losses for something so unpredictable, and um, that that. You know things need to be run a bit better now and a bit more sustainably at clubs and i think brentford ultimately you probably were the shining example of the model that you know sunland and also middlesbrough are trying to do something very similar now as well where yeah. ultimately you're signing players who you consider assets they're at good ages and um, you believe they have ability but you believe there's potential to make them better and and potentially sell them on at a profit in, in years to come uh, and, and and I think it's a it's it's ultimately I think the the right strategy to go down it it'll become harder. Uh, Brentford have had a lot of success mm. with it, but Brentford uh, while they were doing it were were kind of almost alone in doing it. Uh, the more and more clubs who kind of cotton on to the idea that this is a good way to operate, the more competition there's ultimately going to become for these these players who you would describe as you know maybe hidden hidden talents, untapped potential, those kind of words. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're not going to be so hidden anymore because everybody's going to be looking for them. Um, but within that, you would then hope that, you know, 
market values within England become more reasonable. Um, this summer, I know Middlesbrough inquired about, well, Chris Wilder would only say that they inquired about a championship goal scorer. I, I believe it was Giacarez uh, at uh, Coventry. And yeah. I apologize because that's an awful name to pronounce. I'm not sure if I did that justice, but uh, Sunderland have already seen, you know, his ability this season, even though, I, I don't believe he really did much over the 90 minutes, did he? But then uh, scored that late goal, that yeah. late equaliser. And, you know, ultimately that's what a good strike is there to do. But I believe it was him who Burrow inquired about at the start of the summer and uh, and were told 20 million. I mean, you know, I mean, he, he, he's a good player. He's a good goal scorer. He scored goals, et cetera, in the championship. But 20 million for any player in the championship is absolutely ridiculous. So yeah. you would hope in time that, you know, the market in England kind of realigns itself and becomes more realistic. But, yeah. but yeah, certainly at the moment, I think it's a good, good. it looks a good strategy from the outside looking in what someone are trying to do. Um, of course, you've just appointed Tony Mowbray, who... We know well down in Middlesbrough and, and he's very good at working with young players and developing young players as well. So that feels like a good fit. Mm. Um, the one issue, I think the championship is a very demanding league. It, it still has its physicalities, although Sunderland, you know, know, know about physical with League One. Um, depth would be my major concern. I think there's a, as, as we've seen in the opening weeks of the season, there's a, you know, a kind of very good 11 there and maybe two or three beyond the 11 to come into the team. But as the season goes on, um, you know, particularly in this, it's a very strange season because of the, the break in November for the yeah. World Cup. Yeah. Makes it very strange and, and will, you know, lead to a bit of a, you know, fixture congestion throughout the season in, in, in other years where there might have been kind of, you know, gaps Saturday to Saturday and not as many midweekers. This season, there is going to have to be more midweekers because of that break for the World Cup. And, you know, as the season goes on, I, I do worry that, you know, Sunderland's depth might might take its toll. And, you know, hopefully before that, they can pick up enough points so that, the you know, the the, the comfortably... In a, in a in a in a safe position and maybe even challenging you know topper end of the table but uh, upper end of the table but um, but yeah certainly in the championship one thing I've, I've I've noticed over the last couple of years is is depth is quite often very important towards the back end of the season. Yeah, well, last thing before we wrap it up, um, in terms of how Sunderland will probably line up, obviously they brought in four new players since the game against Rotherham. Obviously, Ahmad Diallo from Man United, Abdullah Bar, Edward Michu, and well, Jason Bennett was obviously at the club before then, but was never going to play. Whether they feature at all on Monday is yet to be seen, but I highly doubt they will start. So in terms of a starting eleven, I would expect it to be unchanged from the Rotherham game, which of course Patterson, Gooch, O'Neill, Bart, Serkin and Clark, with Corey Evans, Daniel in midfield, Alex Pritchard, Ross Stewart and Ellis Sims as a front three. But last thing before I let you go, Craig, I don't know if you do score predictions, but I'm going to try and push you one for push you for one anyway. Going to be a tough game. Um, obviously, like I said, Middlesbrough have only won once so far this season. They're going to want to win on Monday, pick up three points, and going to be an interesting one. But if you had to go for a score prediction, or at least a result prediction, what would you go yeah. for? It's it's a tough one. I tell you what, I, the, the the games I've managed to see of Sunderland uh, this season, that that front two in particular of uh, of Stewart and Sims look looks very very good, and will 
will you know hurt or certainly cause problems for for most championship defenses this season uh they look very good together um and as i say there i have had the problems defensively but it tends not to be a structural issue and they've yeah. tended to handle much of what's come up against them so far this season and have ultimately shot themselves in the foot uh having said that um the atmosphere at the riverside has been very good this season and with the exception of a cup defeat where they were ultimately playing kids they've they've been undefeated so far this season at, at home yeah. and, and 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 played some good teams in west brom sheffield united and then obviously beat swansea uh it, it it's going to be tough it'll be a a, a great atmosphere with some of the fans uh, no doubt coming down in numbers and you know riverside always has a great atmosphere anyway um i think on middle of grenade to win i think they need to pick me up i think They'll have a bit more championship know-how on the night, um, so I yeah. will go for it. I think it'll be tight. It'll be quite cagey, but I'll go for a, a narrow middle for a win. Fair enough. I'm fancying a draw. I think. I think I'd, I can see a two-two draw. With, I think both teams have, especially up front, players that will cause damage to each other's defence, and I think it will be a close game. But I do think it will end in a draw, which probably favour Sunderland at this stage of the season more than it does Bella. But of course, that is yet to be seen. Of course, that is on Sky Sports on Monday night. But we'll wrap it up there. I appreciate you taking the time to join us, Craig. Thanks very much, Josh. Pleasure being on. No worries. Of course, we'll be back on Tuesday to provide a reaction to Monday's game. Everything that happened, player wins and whatnot. And in the coming future, we'll also have a podcast out to talk about all of Sunderland's deals in the deadline uh, not in the deadline day, in the transfer window. Um, obviously, Carl Winchester left to join Shrewsbury on loan. Quite a few incomings, 10 for Sunderland. So all of that will be discussed in a future podcast. But until then, we will see you later. That's all, folks.